the whole point is this we no matter how much we tried we were not really able to penetrate the chinese market with our pharma india that is with pharma and our uh, it sectors the chinese have just ended up putting a whole bunch of non tariff barriers over there learning from the western economies and they are also into the standards game now industrial standards and other things which is another non tariff barrier essentially another kind of non tariff barrier and a whole range of them are possible which is why there was rcep made no sense rcep made no sense to us they would block us from they don't use tariffs to block our exports they simply use non tariff barriers and and various other means right to create oh. problems with market access so the point is why do an rcep with them and given that we did not do an rcep with them we did not become a part of what is we refused to become a part of the yuan's key currency area we are very much a part of the dollar's key currency area now i'll, I'll explain that in a bit i'll take your question first now there's an observation yeah uh, that uh, the gsm you know uh, the global standards for telecommunication gsm uh was basically uh, it basically moved its office from europe to shanghai some place and china took over those standards and this was 10 years ago so just think about it think about how much uh they had put in thought into this and planned ahead of time uh between 2000 and 2010 uh they had 3000 employees in geneva at the wto and after 2010 just imagine they took over the gsm standards um and uh, th th that's basically giving you a couple of data points on what you were actually talking about non tariff measures friction uh and controlling that see i'm glad you brought this up uh, because what happened is the the chinese knew that they would have to move up the value chain that was clear to them from as early as 2004 when they talked started talking about rebalancing the economy they made uh, given that they had basically uh, they had been on the sidelines of 1g 2g 3g even 3g to an extent they said we will define 3gpp for the move to 5g essentially so they have a whole bunch of standards essential patents as far as 5g technology is concerned because they invested and what you mentioned they sent a lot of people taking advantage of europe's you know very uh, what should i say naive 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 no, is the word you know uh, she narsimhan it's not just naive europe was uh, in a very very has been in a terrible state since the great recession so a lot of things have been bought by the chinese under the table by them under the table as in in a not so transparent manner from european companies and before the obama administration woke up to this a lot had already gone to china you will see there is a huge change in the quality of china's military industrial complex also between 2010 and now and europe has had a huge role to play in that and in fact this is something that india also needs to look at europe still requires a partner the chinese don't need them so much but india can gain from europe because america is not going to release technology right so that easily so that is also that's a separate discussion of course so they did that they have standards essential patents they and now we are looking to make sure we don't make the miss the 6g bus 
that we define see they have two the chinese have two programs one is called made in china 2025 right and the other is made in essentially standards of china made in china standards 2035 they have understood that it is the the pinnacle of any manufacturing value chain is the entity that defines the standard something the japanese understood a long time ago right which is why yeah, the japanese are yeah. afloat in many the, ways the right? japanese had miti miti our niti niti ayog they had miti yeah they had miti and then in the in the in the unipolar moment they brought out a lot of research saying no no miti wasn't so effective blah blah this that now they have gone back on that they have made an meti now that hmm. miti is in a new avatar called meti okay so in fact we also need a proper ministry of uh, industries which is like miti and looks at technology acquisition from various sources in the world so so the bottom line is that they moved in that direction obviously they invest properly there's no doubt about that but even then the united the incumbency the united states has in areas like materials for jet engines for semiconductors in the entire semiconductor value chain the chinese will not be able to uh, you know overcome so easily that incumbency factor is very significant and now what america is doing is it is essentially doing the same thing it did to the soviet union in the 1980s after the brezhnev doctrine gave way to you know basically andropov and then gorba you know ali gorbachev when the when the when the reagan when reagan came in and the cold war hotted up again that is when they came up with cocom which basically controlled the flow of technology to the to the soviet union if you remember there was the whole toshiba kongsberg scandal toshiba had sold five axis and nine axis machine tools to the uh, to the soviet shipyard which uh, one of the soviet shipyards which makes nuclear submarines and that made that allowed the soviets to make these their propeller screws for their submarines that much quieter in fact they 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 sort of uh, caught up by almost a decade and a half in terms of technology because of that transfer and kongsberg was involved because they provided the software to run those uh, cnc milling machines right wow uh, this those is brand new information tools. to me i was just thinking about the cnc this machine is, this whole thing is there in my book by the in way your book. so if you have a copy just flash it uh, show yeah, it I'll to us yeah i'll flash our... the copy here this i go into some detail in this in this book this sort of thing is there in this book it's in chapter 7 people may you want know, to take a look at how india was growing a pandemic ridden world yeah i i recommend everyone to take a look at it i would be taking a look at it because this piece this factoid i didn't know and it has so many parallels to today right to the asml chip making fabrication technology the ultra uev uh, technology uh, that uh, shri ji has, has worked on and that's now being uh, rationed so as to speak uh, very carefully through various uh, regulations regulatory bodies and policy making bodies uh, on the on the western side as well as with respect to taiwan exactly, exactly. so chapter 7 of my book goes into precisely that parallel it draws precisely that parallel between what was done in the 80s and what is being done now so to sum up america has the most liquid and deep capital markets it is still the safe haven 
it has the technological advantages in the sectors that matter china may have caught up or even maybe doing well in some others but in the main things it has still caught up it has the ip dollar it has the military presence so to answer your question and if it can open its market to india which it needs to do anyway to keep inflation is check to circle back to the old point i made then india will continue to be part of what is called the dollar's key currency area america's key currency area right see people in the world trade integration trade integration and position trade integration by itself and your position as an exporter or importer is not enough to internationalize your currency much more important is stability geopolitical presence technology and more and from the financial point of view how liquid and deep are your capital markets if i can't bring out money from your market at ease why would i put in money into that market in the first place this is Makes a very sense. very basic question and china is in no position to remove capital controls in fact it has been going in the opposite direction so there is nobody but america left on the scene and look america has a lot of desirable assets right even even uh, even uh, chinese households want to go and buy houses in california they're even buying houses in maine so from the chinese household who wants to buy a tract house in maine to some indian company which is looking for some technology somewhere to somebody else which is looking at a partnership america is still the place even if you and even if you go to even if you look at history it took a long time for the dollar to take the pound's place even after the dollar even after the united states economy had surpassed the british empire's economy by a fair margin so there are these hysteresis effects also right it Got takes it. a long time for one uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, one incumbent to be dethroned so this notion that de-dollarization will happen overnight etc is neither borne out by logic nor by history and nor by current trends train our attention to the indian economy give us an idea of where we stand today in terms of uh, our health our financial health and uh, what are the challenges over the next 5 years okay that's an interesting question so when we talk about our health let us talk about the health of the banking sector because india is still essentially a bank intermediated economy nbfcs are extremely important but you know commercial banks are extreme uh, are still at the core of our financial sector so now if you look at what we call scheduled commercial banks what the whole world calls just commercial banks essentially so uh, if you look at the health of commercial banks their things like their capital adequacy if they you look at their liquidity ratios you know the typical metrics that we look at so if you take capital adequacy in india we look at capital risk weighted uh, asset ratio that is something like 16.1% right now okay so it's way above the even what norms uh, even basel 3 requires so we are our banks are adequately capitalized to even to take in to absorb very uh, you know very strong external shocks macroeconomic shocks right they can absorb it stress test at least stress tests have shown that okay then the other question is uh, but that's not the only thing when you look at a commercial bank when you talk about a commercial bank's resilience you not only look at its capital adequacy you also have to look at its liquidity management 
you look at you will have to look at its profitability and you will also have to look at whether it can maintain income streams or not in the face of uh, macroeconomic shocks you know in the face of a uh, economy wide shock now as far as liquidity is concerned now this is something i will not burden the readers with but the rbi during the pandemic moved to the same kind of monetary operating framework that the federal reserve has which is a floor based system and not a corridor based system okay it has now gone back to a corridor based system because it has removed a lot of excess liquidity but we can also do quantitative easing now our markets are sufficiently liquid and deep to do that so when you have ample liquidity in the system the the corridor collapses into a floor essentially today in india we have introduced something called the standing deposit facility okay which is the same as the interest which is analogous to the interest on excess reserves that was introduced by america in the post gfc by the federal reserve of america and during and that standing dep deposit facility differs from the reverse repo facility in this sense in the reverse repo facility the rbi comes and says bhaiya mujhe apna paisa do ye government security lo in the standing deposit facility the the commercial bank can just give the money to the rbi they can just directly lend to the rbi on an uncollateralized basis so that is Next. another another layer of financial stability which has been increased yeah, put into the system because now in an emergency situation we can also push in a lot of liquidity and go to a floor based system and keep the commercial banks liquid explain uh, a few scenarios that can uh, rain on this india's parade and do some risk assessment and some mitigation of those risks so unfortunately mitigating the risks will actually increase uh, for that to uh, to be effective state control of the indian economy will actually increase in some aspects i'll give an example the rbi is now looking very closely at business models of banks because they don't just want to go by the uh, you know just by some uh, cardinal parameters they want to see whether the amount of capital adequacy and the kind of liquidity provisioning you have is in conformity with the kind of business model you have they are becoming much more aggressive about both internal and extensive external audits they are now mandating that branch audits have to happen to the tune of 70% of assets will have to be audited by the external auditor so they are they are creating very what some would say intrusive assurance and governance frameworks but that is required in such a scenario because you know uh, just the cardinal parameters can hide many micro aspects and may hide asset quality also here we circle back to the american situation america is considered to be a safe haven because but if safe things over there start failing then many of the things to which indian banks have exposures may not seem so safe anymore right we have to move away from an incurred loss model to an expected loss model for commercial banks right now provisioning is done on the basis of incurred loss as in post facto but we have to like what we do for nbncs in india we have to do for commercial banks china's banking system over the last 40 years did did they take risks and did they take calculated risks if if we say hey we want the same thing that china ordered uh, would that be a smart not uh, only the answer will be segmented their focus on standards and r&d we must emulate their focus on becoming as big as possible by increasing the asset pool of your economy 
by creating newer and newer airports and ports and things which are redundant, which are not going to be used or can't be monetized easily. That should not. We should build what we require. So our infrastructure planning has to be very good. We should build what is required. We talk about multimodal infrastructure, right? Multimodal transport. So we should do that properly. That should not be a euphemism. We should build what is required. We should keep in mind the resilience required uh, in terms of environmental sustainability also. So that aspect is there. And as far as what the banking sector did, it only took risks. Let's put, let's put it that way. Okay. Because most of, a lot of it was government owned and policy loans were given willy-nilly. In fact, we also gave a lot of policy loans and ended up in that 2012-2013 scenario. Thankfully, we've gone back from there. And the RBI has a prompt corrective action framework now. It sequesters banks, which are showing signs of stress. And now it has a, a stability framework, you know, scale-based stability framework for NBFCs also. Because see, the RBI dropped the ball on ILNFS. We cannot ex allow it to drop the ball again. And the government has to work very closely with the RBI. It has to allow public sector banks to be properly scrutinized and not fight over the PCA. See, the, I'll tell you one thing. The government has done the right thing with the PLIs, etc. That is to remove the disability we have vis-a-vis -vis the East Asian countries and attain scale in various manufacturing sectors. Once you attain scale, you can indigenize the supply chain. That is the import substitution part. And you can, and the export promotion part is because you've attained scale and you've reduced your cost structure, and because you may have made better ports and port linkages, you can export. So that improves your current account position anyway, right? Because you export more, you import less. Also, because now you are a viable destination for manufacturing, a lot more FDI comes into your economy that papers over your capital account requirements. See, Absolutely. one of the sense of the Indian economy right now is our entire current account deficit is covered by our foreign direct investments. On the capital capital side, we are very well covered by FDI. So, and also we are well prepared for what is called a sudden stop. Suppose America, suppose American banks start going down, and America pushes in liquidity, and you know there is this global safe haven effect, and all money starts running over there. That will happen initially. Then money will again run back over here when interest rates decline to the zero lower bound in America. But initially when the crisis breaks, when everybody is clear that a crisis has happened, a huge volume of money will go back to America before it comes back again after the same old, you know, debt deflation mitigating policies are used by them. So when that happens, we'll have a liquidity problem in our banks, but we, we will be able to deal with it. And on the macro level, we will be able to deal with it because our reserves are adequate to cover our external balances. We are much better prepared than we were in 2012, 13. Our current account uh, deficit is much smaller, right? And on top of that, uh, our debt server service coverage ratios are also much better. I'm talking about external macro level debt. Our NPA situation is uh, has been resolved to a great extent. You know, the gross NPAs now are below 5% for our uh, commercial banks. So we are we are doing well there as well now. Also, because of the pandemic, various corporate entities in India could deleverage a lot. So corporate balance sheets are also clear. So if we this is the time when we have to kickstart the investment cycle in India, which has been at a trough. Right, which has been at a trough for over a decade now. When we talk of the jobs crisis in India, we are essentially talking about a private investment crisis. 
the government can only do so much it can do the crowding in part it can create infrastructure r&d but the private sector will have to see that we need to come in so we should not do anything that hurts demand consumer demand in the economy we should do things which actually aid consumer demand because the sum total of the government push and the attraction of rising consumer demand and favorable geopolitical conditions will lead to our investment cycle getting kicked off and once the investment cycle gets kicked off right we will be in a pole position by around 2038 we'll be in pole position by 2038 or so but this is a big if okay this is the opportunity if the investment cycle doesn't kick off then you know what is going to happen we are going to have chronic uh, unemployment which is going to be you know structural unemployment at 10% close to 10% and the attendant wow. consequences of that right you will have low growth you will have instability so on so forth so those are the those are the scenarios uh, that we are looking at but we are as far as you know a priori i can say we are more or less provision for at least one big uh, financial shock coming from the west at the moment well, that would be my overall feeling about the matter right so Makes that is sense. how i put it you know th thank you for for that answer uh, you projected out to 15 years and uh, that means there are three five year cycles to get to 2038 and uh, that's very much a part of you know the politics the geopolitics and everything that p gurus focuses on uh, so shriji uh, you had a question so go ahead um thank you um just this is the last question and we can wrap this up uh, you know many of the banks public sector banks have been merging to become bigger and bigger banks but if you drive down a road three banks which are all under one bank now continue to have the same branches continue to have their staff a uh, lot of redundancy is what i'm getting at when do you think the modi government is going to start you know getting rid of these redundancies because everything is computerized now you don't need that many people uh, when do you think that wind down of the workforce is going to happen in banks see i will not speak for a specific government but i can say that they uh, any government or rather whatever government we talk of is likely to do this when the employment situation improves in india because right now i can tell you something no government is going to reduce psu employment in a situation where stable well paying jobs are hard to come by only when private investment because that is going to have an impact on uh, aggregate demand in the economy see i said that we cannot do anything to hurt consumer demand at the moment if you start rationalizing and you start privatizing psus and that leads to a decline in that kind of employment you are going that is going to have an impact especially in the urban sector urban economies which drive consumer demand to a great extent even now right so they are not going to do that they are going to do that when the investment cycle kicks off if the investment cycle kicks off you will see two things happening very quickly in india you will see the government finally exiting the what they are calling the non strategic sectors and you will also see the government uh, uh, moving to a more liberalized labor code see right now somebody will say that this is a chicken and egg problem why not have a, a nicer labor code at least something like vietnams but the, the government also knows that given the track record of our uh, business community they may just end up using the lower liberalized labor code to just fire a lot of people 
okay and that's not going to be very nice for the political economy as you can imagine so the government ultimately has to look after the interests not just of businesses but obviously of the the voter on the street right which is the who's the who's the main party to this entire conversation so i don't see the government moving aggressively on rational some branches will be rationalized they'll be rationalized by the banks themselves very quietly but it may not lead to a decline of employment by those banks those uh, employees may be absorbed in other schemes and things like that they may become door to door people who go and sell insurance and you know all those scenarios are possible so but the branches themselves may be rationalized and the other thing is that the labor code will not be made say the way it is in vietnam asap it will be made only if the government sees the investment cycle kicking off because then the then labor shortages will crop up already labor shortages are cropping up in southern uh, some southern states right you heard of these big investments being made by apple's contract manufacturers those guys are not finding it easy to source labor so now but of course that can be remediated by moving labor from the north of india to the south provided these sons of soil policies etc don't get in the way that uh, that is the other thing okay you talked about one of the challenges we face one very extreme challenge that we can face is an unnecessary and completely uncalled for right rupture between what is called north india and what is called south india south india is where the industrial big industrial push will be made but south india does not will not have the labor pool required to sustain it that will have to come from elsewhere but if their sons of soil policies and general views and you know general parochialism gets in the way then we'll have a problem this is something we uh, all indians need to watch out for uh, to add to well, that you know uh, just to add to that with respect to china china saw one of the largest migrations ever from the rural areas to the metropolis right to the cities 300 million people single people mom or dad 300 million moved from these remote villages to the industrial centers as uh, very well documented by bill gross and paul mccully of pimco uh, and they have been commenting on that through the early 2000s uh, and such a migration uh, is going to interconnect india a lot more in fact the connectivity that we are doing is primarily not only resources but actually move skilled labor pool where it's needed from where it is well um, thank you so much sarov and it was a fantastic conversation thank you again for guest hosting sri and uh, viewers please like share and subscribe to our channel and don't forget to click on the bell button for notifications and we like uh, sarov to come back again and give him a big show of support by putting in your comments and questions and we will try and reach out to sarov if you have a lot of questions so that we can have a follow up session with some of these questions being asked of him sarov thank you so much and likewise sri thank you so much and namaskar thank you namaskar. for having thank me you. thank you both namaskar. thank you